For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, you're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, this week, we're back with another club-specific episode focusing on a side which has emerged as a major player among European football's elite over the past five years or so, Atalanta. Uh, the northern Italian side, nicknamed La Dea, are the subject of a new book by first-time Finnish journalist Tom Underhill, charting the club's rise to prominence. Um, it's called The Working Hands of a Goddess and will be available very, very soon. Um, I'd thoroughly recommend it checking it out, but for the time being, um, we'll have to we'll have to settle for for a pod episode on the on the ins and outs of the club. Um, Tom, I'm sure we'll be able to provide some more information on that in due course. Um, but today on the Scouted Pod, we're going to be discussing how Atalanta's focus on youth and their revered academy setup, uh, as well as a little bit on their scouting, has enabled them situated, you know, just an hour from Serie A giants Internazionale and AC Milan that they've been able to mount title challenges and, and runs to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League over the past half a decade or so. Um, without further ado, though, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Uh, scouted Dave, you, how, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Joe. Um, it's very, uh, I feel honoured to be on this side of the mic rather than having you come in through my earphones out on a dog walk or something. So uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking about talking about Atalanta. No, no problem. This side of the mic's a good turn of phrase. I think I'm afraid I'm going to have to steal that at some point. Um, that's <laughs> I quite like that that little uh, that little quip. But um, just on to, on to you, you know, I mean, I introduced you as a first time Finnish journalist. Um, anybody who's sort of been been following, um, you know, some quite interesting interviews, some quite interesting um, avant garde sort of stories in in the world of football, um, might have come across some of your work um, with the likes of with Ben Botchak, who's been on on this podcast before, and, and Ninad as well. Um, you know, you've you've done you've done some excellent work at, at first time finish. But for anybody who isn't aware, you know, what what is the what's the premise of of that site? Well, we the three of us founded it in uh, August 2020, and the the idea was to kind of to do interviews with kind of people in football that wouldn't be behind a paywall. So you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be on the on the athletic or something like that. You could actually get it free to read and would kind of lift the curtain in a way that perhaps people of our journalistic standing, which was very limited at the time, very inexperienced, wouldn't be expected to do. So interviewing uh, academy coaches and scouts. And uh, when Ben came on the podcast, I think he mentioned the first one he did was Alfonso Davis's uh, coach and agent. And that kind of really cleared a lot of, a lot of kind of, of, of made a clearance for us in the market. And yeah, just uh, trying to shine a light on uncovered bits of football. And um, we haven't been so active in recent months, just as life has kind of taken over. But we we very much hope to kind of be getting more content out soon. And we've got some excellent younger writers coming up to to come on the website. So uh, yeah, I would highly, highly recommend people check it out. Yeah, likewise, I, I, I would do as well. I mean, there's been lots of things, I mean, countless pieces that I've, that I've read on, on, on First Time Finish that, you know, have just completely awakened areas of footballing knowledge that I just had no idea existed. So um, yeah, it was, um, it, it's, it, the, some of them have been really fascinating reads. Um, in terms of, you know, life getting in the way, I think, you, you know, you've, you've had quite an undertaking over the past few months um, in, in, in writing um, the, the book on Atalanta. 
Um, you know, what can you tell us more information about what the what the book is about? You know, when it will be available, when people can can get their hands on it. So uh, it's it's called uh, the Working Hands of a Goddess. Uh, it kind of inspired by Atalanta's uh, kind of deity icon, which is the which is Atalanta, the the Greek uh, mythological goddess. Um, and just looking at the the development that's happened mostly in the past since 2016, since Giampiero Gasparini took over as manager, and that they've defied the odds season after season. Um, having at, t- at one point they had the 14th highest wage bill in Syria, and they were they were getting in amongst the top four, top five, and yeah, looking at the tactics behind it, the kind of the culture, how it plays into the wider identity of the city, which is is such an important part of Atalanta, is understanding the the psyche of what it means to be from Bergamo to be Bergamaschi, um, and the and the community that Gasparini has built in his very niche and uh, individualistic, let's let's even say divisive manner he's a very divisive character he, he splits fan bases across the across the continent um and yeah it's been a labor labor of love really it's uh it's just a, a story that i i thought i had to tell and uh, having followed them since 2017 when they first made the europa league uh, I, I certainly feel honored to as an english writer to be able to at least contribute to growing literature on their on their development yeah, so so Atalanta. Um, in terms of a potted history of the club, I mean, people will have probably become aware of them over the past five or six years, as you mentioned, Tom. Um, but if you're looking sort of at major honours and major titles and and you know the the imprint that they've left on European football, it's quite limited. I mean, they don't have any Serie A titles, um, which you know, considering the, the the list of clubs which has lifted at least one over the past hundred or so years, um, that's quite surprising. But um, they do have one Coppa Italia, um, but they won that in 1963. So again, very, very long time ago. Um, they've been four-time runners-up of Coppa Italia, most recently in 2019 and, and 2021. Um, so they've they've been sort of knocking on the door, but they just it's 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 eluded them just ever so slightly. Um, but I think it's undoubted that, that the club are sort of enjoying their most successful period at the moment. You know, it, they they were I mean even as recently as 2010 and and as well as 2003 and 2005, Atalanta were were relegated from the top flight to Serie B. So you know they have been they've been typically a club which had sort of flitted around the the, the, the top two divisions. They they were never sort of really a, a massively established Serie A side, especially over the last twenty years or so. Um, but now you've got them ranking sort of twenty fifth in the UEFA coefficient, above the likes of Benfica, above the likes of Sporting, uh, both in Portugal. You know both prestigious clubs. Um, you know European recognised. Uh, and un- under Gian Piero Gasparini, as you mentioned, Tom, they've been they've been regulars in European competition. Um, this is their fifth consecutive season in either the Europa League or the Champions League. Um, they they qualified for the Champions League for the last three years in a row, which is you know the first time ever. Um, and uh, depending on when you're listening to this, they they're currently in the quarterfinals of the Europa League against Leipzig. I think they drew one one in the first leg, um, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that tie. Um, in terms of the, the the premise of this episode, though, you know, it's 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 a focus on the youth football side of things, and you know, Atalanta, they've while they've they've never been the richest club, they've never been the most successful club. They typically have one of, if not the best academy in Italy, and certainly at the moment, you know, over the past few years in in particular, they have you know the the Primavera League, the the under nineteen division, which um, Serie A club uh, Serie A clubs under nineteen teams play in. 
Um, they've, I wouldn't say dominated, but they've been extremely strong in that over several seasons. Um, and going a little bit further back, even, you know, between 1991 and, and 2014, um, the various youth teams won 17 national titles. And that's something which uh, typically has been driven by the board. So, you know, that's something which they, they recognize their disadvantage, but they, they've, they've eked out their own corner of, you know, where, where can we be the best? Um, which is it's definitely easier said than done, um, given their proximity to Milan and, and the catchment area that, that Inter and, and, and Milan do uh, do command in that area of northern Italy. But um, Tom, in terms of when you've been doing your research for your book and 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 just obviously watching Atalanta over the past five or six years, you know what what has kind of struck you about the the youth development side of things at, at this club? Well, I think going going back throughout their entire history, going back to kind of 1907 when the first first FC Bergamo was born, um, the the idea of youth and be, and bringing them through and putting them on display at a very young age has always been kind of intrinsic to everything the club has kind of stood for. You mentioned about their only the only piece of uh, silverware today is the 1963 uh, Coppa Italia, which they won. Uh, with a hat trick uh, by Angelo Domenghini over over Torino, and Domenghini was a local Bergamo-born boy, uh, come through the academy, played at a very young age, scored the hat trick in the final. Um, if I'm he he top scored in the Coppa Italia that season, but he had a very underwhelming Serie A season. Um, but off the back of that final, signed for Helenio Herrera's into a uh, Grand Inter as they were known at the time. We went on to win the European Cup. Like that—that that is like the perfect kind of snapshot of what it was to be to be an Atalanta youth player. You'd be born locally, brought through, shine very bright, very quickly, and then you'd be sold on and likely become a superstar. Um, and that was always the way. And the problem with that is, it meant that you would, they would never be able to get enough of a player's kind of benefits to build on it or to make a team around a player. A player would come up and do brilliantly, and then they'd leave. And it's it's just a over time it becomes an unsustainable as a as a sporting you know as a sports club. It's unsustainable to stay at the top or even near the top if you're doing that. Um, and then gradually, as the as the years kind of went on, they started to change change tax, particularly in kind of the early 20th century, when uh, they were kind of they were kind of uh, squandering in in Serie B and looking like they were going to stay there for a prolonged amount of time and get recycling through managers. And it seems that the the policy of just bringing through youth come what may, and as they've done for many years, was just not going to work anymore. So when and when Antonio Bacassi took over as president in 2010, he'd, he'd previously been president in the 1990s, but he now owned the club when he, when he reassumed it in 2010. Um, the tax changed so that they would they would send their youth players out on loan first before even really giving them a chance in the first team. Send them out on loan, give them experience, and they would either catch the eye on loan and and see a bigger team come in and buy them for big money off the back of that, or they would come back the season after and be a year older, year wiser, more developed, and it was just a win win situation really. And that is kind of what has come to personify. Gasparini's Atalanta and a lot of people will look at will look at the kind of the early teams of Gasparini and say that it was you know they'd they'd associate it with him being a a big believer in youth and yes he always has been but really the the, that kind of policy and that strategy had gone on for a few years before Gasparini had even arrived really 
so yeah a, a very a very slight tweak to what they'd always done and what they'd really become known for so i suppose it's not a case of oh well you know atalanta over the past few years have sort of revolutionized things it's just simply been a case of you know this is this has always been the the approach or you know this has been um a, you know a bit of a change of tack and and they're reaping the rewards from it um, which I think is fair enough. I mean, something that we've always said on this podcast um, is that you know the the success of an academy setup is not based on how many players make it into the to, into the first team, but it make it into the first teams of various clubs at a very good level. Um, and you know that's I mean that, that that shows that you're setting players up for for careers at the top. Um, you know, I think it's I'm I'm right in saying it's it's regarded as one of the best youth setups in Europe, and and certainly one of the best, if not the best, in Italy. Um, and I think that's, that's been proven repeatedly over the years. It's not as though they've just had one exceptionally good cohort. Um, it's it's been you know they, they've had lots and lots of good players who've gone on to to play you know hundreds and hundreds of, of games at Serie A, at various various other leagues um, over a number of years. I mean, just sort of looking back here, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, there were twenty two former Atalanta youth team players in Serie A alone. Um, and then in 2013-14, so you know, five six years later, there were 25 former Atalanta youth team players in Europe's top five leagues, which goes to show that you know the the, the I don't know the the conveyor belt of talent is 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 alive and well certainly. Um, you know, I mean, it's I think it's probably best that we get onto sort of the alumni and that sort of thing as well, Tom, because despite the fact that they've they've produced quite a lot of good young players, especially in recent times. The, um, the, the, the players that have been produced haven't always gone on to play major roles in the actual first team in Atalanta. They've actually been sold and then the, the proceeds have been reinvested into the squad. And, you know, that's perhaps why we haven't had a really forensic focus on Atalanta on this pod before, because typically Gasparini's teams have, have had a lot of players sort of around their peak ages. You know, I mean, you need to look at the likes of, you know, Papu Gomez, um, you know, Luis Muriel, uh, Duvan Zapata, um, Palomino at the back, you know, these types of players, Remo Freuler, you know, none of them have been under 23 at the period when the club has been, you know, its most successful. But, um, you know, these these signings have been facilitated by, at least in some part, by the um, by the young players that have been sold before they've even had the chance to get a run in the team. And a lot of that has come down to how well they've done out on loan, um, which you, you alluded to just beforehand. Um, I think the big one for me, uh, the first time that I was sort of I became aware of this this process was with Dejan Kulusevski when he went on loan to um went on on to to Parma and did so well that the, the Juventus decided that you know that's we're spending thirty five million on someone who has has barely ever played for for Atalanta. Um, I mean, what in terms of alumni, you know, there's there's a lot of of, of players who who've come through that that setup. I mean, in your research for the book, you know, what what was um what was something which struck you about that? Well, I think I think it's what, like you say about Gasparini's teams have often. I mean, even going back to going back to Genoa, like you know his first ball in Genoa, which he took over in two thousand six. His his teams have always been personified by having like the the absolute stars of the team have always been those in their late twenties and have often been at their very peak or perhaps been deemed to be on their way down or even that they they were kind of unfulfilled careers and he's managed to rinse remarkable results out of players that people would have considered washed up um and it, that's what made his appointment such an interesting one because you know even if they have changed tact atalanta is still a has a, a it's a club with an incredible production line and you'd think that they would 
they would perhaps steer clear of a manager who wouldn't necessarily, you know, uh, kind of uh, pay into that way of way of running a club. But pretty much from the word go, he he looked like he wanted to utilize this this great facility, which he never had at Genoa, never had at Palermo, and then even at Inter. I mean, the you know, for, for, I'm sure listeners will know, but his, his debacle at Inter, where he lasted five matches in charge could have easily ended his career and he didn't really get a chance to display what he was as a coach. So coming here, coming to Atalanta was a point of him perhaps being able to use a resource he never really had before. And uh, he started, well, he started terribly, very similar to his inter phase. He, he won once in his opening five matches and he played a, you know, he's always been famous of playing like a three, four, three or three, four, one, two. And it looked like for a period he was, trying to play with a back four and trying to fit around the people that he has. And it looked at one point in his opening game, he played four, four full backs on the pitch at the same time. It was a, it was a bit of a mess really. And he got summoned by president Bacassi to his, to his office after the fifth game. And it looked like he was, you know, he was going to be on his way only for Bacassi to say, look, I, you're my manager. I'm going to trust you do what you want to do. And, and Gasparini, demanded two things he said I want to play three at the back and I want to play with the kids and play with the kids he did he rolled out likes of Frank Kessier, uh, Andrea Conti, Andrea Patania, uh, Roberto Gagliardini, um, Leonardo Spinazzola like these are you know these are hallmark European names now but at the time had just come from from nowhere but it was Gasparini who gave them all their first their first real teeth cutting experiences and um, yeah, they absolutely, they they completely dominated, they dominated the team that season. Yeah, that was I think for most people that was the um, the year in which they kind of came to to prominence and everybody sort of began to sit up and take notice with that that team with you know your Galliardini's, your, your your Andrea Conti's and and then I think as it's as it was kind of expected, you know, they were kind of picked off and they went to various different different avenues I think Conti went to Milan and then Galliardini ended up in Inter didn't he and I mean it's I mean a great earner for Atalanta and it probably ended up funding the next four or five years that that they've enjoyed since but um, I think credit must go to 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 Gasparini and to the board as well that you know they've been able to to retain um, the you know the the relative level of success despite having the team carved up um, you know, even the, the players who have played, not just the ones that have been um, young, like Yakutusevskis, who barely had an impact and then been farmed out for thirty odd million. Um, you know, looking looking at that that alumni list as well, though. You know, even the ones who didn't even make it to the um, to the first team or even the under nineteen team. You know, Alessandro Bastoni, um, obviously playing at Inter now, a full fully fledged Italian international. He was at Atalanta between the ages of seven and seventeen. So you know his. His formative years as a as a young footballer were were were, were in Bergamo. Um, you know he's obviously playing very well for Inter at the moment. You know, um, you know, one of the best Italian central defenders. Um, still only twenty two or twenty three, I believe, as well. Um, and as you mentioned there, you know, your Franck Kessiers, Um He was signed from 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 Cote d'Ivoire uh, as an eighteen year old. Played, um, you know, made made a huge impact uh, when he first burst into the scene in in Italy. He was was obviously then subsequently signed. By Milan, and you know he was there for three years effectively. And 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 Dylan Kulisevsky was a similar story, where he was signed from Bromma Pukiana in Sweden. Um, he was there from sixteen to nineteen, 
Um, and another one, you know, again from Africa, Musa Barrow, um, signed from from Gambia um, as an 18-year-old. He was there for, for three years. Um, again, didn't have a huge impact at Atalanta, but has since done done very well in fits and starts for Bologna. Um, and you know, just these these types of these types of acquisitions as well show that you know it's not just the case of well, we're we're sort of maximizing and exploiting the 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 rich seam of, of talent in in our immediate catchment area. You know, we're looking further afield. We're looking to Scandinavia. We're looking to to Africa. We're looking to to areas where other clubs who maybe have you know a wealth of resources and they plow that into to picking up you know ready made prospects uh, sorry ready made players instead atalanta have been sort of looking at um picking up players who are maybe a little bit more of a gamble but for for certainly for lower fees um and you know being able to to lure them in with the promise of you know this is arguably the best academy in atalanta in, in italy look at the the previous players that we've been able to bring through you can have a similar sort of trajectory here we'll we'll will not stop you from from playing football will not keep you in the primavera team when you when you outgrow that um, we'll send you out on loan we'll get you regular minutes um and i think you know the i mean the list goes on you know Giacomo Bonaventura Mattia Caldara Conti as you mentioned um even Ahmad Diallo who's now at Manchester United you know he was signed as a 13 or 14 year old i believe um by Atalanta again from from Cote d'Ivoire um and then stayed there for four or five years and and then got a 20 million rising to potentially 35 40 million move to man united so um yeah they've got some exceptional young players at a very early age and i think you know that's that, that that's a credit to to how the the club is run in terms of the alignment between um you know the between the coaching staff but also the sort of the the recruitment staff as well there seems to be a clear a clear plan and and evidently it works i mean one I mean the Kulusevski and uh, Ahmad Diallo deals alone, you know that, that's that's generated or will generate around seventy five million euros, which is obscene to think that you know it's come from two players who've barely played any senior football for the club. Well, I mean, I mean those two, but then there's there's even I mean going back to Bastoni, Bastoni signed signed to to Inter for a rough I'll say roughly thirty to thirty five million euros, and he he made four four Serie A appearances for Atalanta, I want to say, in that first in that first season. And that was in the season when they had uh Atalanta finished fourth in 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 Gasparini's first season there. But they they were ravaged at centre back. They there were there were periods where they only had four fit centre backs and they were, you know, look at Rafael Toloy, Andrea Maziello, Irvin Zukanovic and uh and Mattia Caldara, who's obviously a star of that team. But you know, for a, for a player as talented Bastoni, you could have imagined that he would have broken into that team. But he played barely any minutes at all, and yet he, he got a huge move off the back of it. And it just shows it's, it's a bit of a win-win for 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 young players in their in their teens to move to Atalanta because they're either going to break into a team that's competing at the top top end of Serie A, or they end up in the Primavera and they in potentially potentially. Primavera title winning teams and they don't even have to set foot on a senior pitch for Atalanta and yet the eyes of Europe are already on them they're already you know they're, they're hype that there's such a prestige of being part of that academy they don't ever have to play for Atalanta to get their move to get that attention and I think the success of the team aside from whether that whether this you know individual successes obviously Kessier was brilliant and he contributed to a good first season so was Andrea Conti, Caldara, uh, Spinazzola, but a lot of those players have been are very are, have been 
top talents since coming through from Atalanta without necessarily contributing to Atalanta's on-pitch success. And I think it's the actual the on-pitch success of the rest of the team that has almost sought to to shine a light on the on what's going on in the Primavera. I mean, the the Kulisevsky and Diallo ones are just the perfect examples of that. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like a they're kind of a symbiosis between a success of a of a team that's have an average age of around the 20, 27, 28 mark since since about twenty eighteen, and a and an incredible factory line of of young players that is as as long as your arm and has been since the nineteen sixties. Yeah, in terms of like a successful club policy and also a successful sort of on pitch. Um... I don't want to say policy as well, but you know the 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 tactics and the the way of playing has been has been, um, you know the the two have not been at odds with each other. They've not been sort of like the the, the policy around young players and the the decision to to field a, an experienced team. They've not been like rutting stags. They've they've exist they've coexisted effectively. Um, yeah. Those two sort of ideas, and I suppose that takes us on nicely to sort of the the young players in in Atalanta's first team at the moment, and and those players breaking in, um, and I think. While while he's 24 and we don't like to break the, the one and only golden rule on the scouted pod, I think it's fair to say that we should discuss Turn Coop Miners um, a little bit because he was a player who was was certainly, you know, um, a, a lot of clubs were after him. A lot of clubs were linked with, with him uh, last summer uh, and, and in the years previous, to be honest, as well. Um, but he's he's been he's been added from AZ Alkmaar in, in, in the Netherlands. Um and uh, to be honest, in the few games that I've caught of Atalanta's this season, particularly recently, I've been surprised to see Koopmanners being used a little bit ahead of the ball because I was always accustomed to seeing him being sort of, uh, you know, a, a number six or somebody who would, um, in possession, you know, drop into the fullback spaces and, um, you know, progress play from there by, you know, effectively giving the, the fullbacks a, a license to push on. Um, it was, uh, you know, someone who was always behind the ball rather than ahead of the ball. But this season, I feel as though he's 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 evolved into um uh, you know a new role. I, I mean, from from what you've seen, Tom, is that something you'd agree with? I mean, he's he's just amazing. Like he's just. I mean, I, I was a massive I was a massive Cotmainers fan anyway. Um, before when he was at, when he was RZ Alkmaar captain, I, I wrote a piece on the first time finish on him and interviewed his his youth coach and watched a lot of Alkmaar matches and just. But if I could shut my eyes and picture my my ideal football player, it would be Cotmainers. You know, incredible long range passer, vicious shot from range. He's press resistant. He's powerful. He presses well. Um, so him going to Atalanta was a bit of a dream kind of <laughs> bit of a dream kind of matchup for me. Um, the only shame was that kind of the, the timeline of my book, kind of the, the final the you know the final season that I chapter in my book was the, was the season before he arrived. So I would have loved to have written about him this season but um he, he's fascinating and he, he's he's just a he, he's just a, a jack of all trades but without being a master of none he does everything so well he um uh, at times I thought he was I thought he was going to slot into the back three because I know he, he did that at Alkmaar quite a lot and I thought he'd feature as the left center back mm. of the three um but because for, for anyone who doesn't Atalanta's season has been ravaged by injury particularly in midfield um at times they've had to field kind of quite attacking midfielders as a midfield pivot and Gasparini has always wanted uh, ground-eating workhorses as his central midfielders. Frula, Darun. Um, I mean, when he was there, Kessier was like that. Galliardini, this is the type of midfielder that he wants. Brian Cristante. Um, and 
So to have to field more progressive midfielders, people like Mario Pasalic, Matteo Piscina, people who who like to figure in and around the final third in midfield has kind of shown that he hasn't had the options available to him that he would have wanted and that their season just been destroyed by injury. But Cotmanus has been the ever present throughout it all. He's he's played in the pivot, he's played as a number ten, that he's kind of played kind of bursting beyond the centre forwards. And again, that's kind of come from because Duvan Zapata's been injured for large parts of the season. Lewis Muriel's been really been way off form. And and Cotmainers is, is is it's like you say, Joe, he's you know, he's he's someone who's he's a quarterback type figure. You picture him picking up the ball around the halfway line, spraying diagonal passes. And yet this season among midfielders, he's in the ninety second upper percentile of received pass received progressive passes, which shows that he's he is receiving the ball from deep rather than doing the kind of the progressing himself. And he scored twice in a brilliant home win of Sampdoria. He's just been an absolute star for them this season. And along with uh, Mera Demaral in, in central defence, I think he's probably been their absolute shining light this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, on the on the limited sort of viewing that I've seen, it's it's something which definitely surprised me a little bit the, the you know the fact that he was being used as a number 10 um I didn't I wasn't fully aware of the sort of the injury situation so that that sheds a little bit of light on it and explains perhaps why it's been sort of it's been necessitated but um in terms of the the other players and you know we were talking about the um the the youth policy and the 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 fact that these players coming through often don't get an uh, you know a, a huge amount of time on the pitch for Atalanta because they're sent on loan and then there's the opportunity to, to sell them for big fees. Um, someone who is um, enjoying some time on the pitch, particularly recently as well, uh, is Giorgio Scalvini, who's still 18 years old, uh, central defender. He's made five Serie A starts this season, seven substitute appearances as well. But increasingly in the past few weeks, he has been someone who has is, you know finished the full 90, played you know 75 minutes plus, uh, featured against Leipzig in in the first leg of the Europa League quarterfinal. Um, you know, he's a, an Italian under-19 international. And, I mean, he's a very imposing figure. I think he must be at least six foot four. Um, yeah. He's, yeah, he's huge. And he just does, he, you know, he does not look as though he's an 18-year-old. You know, he's um, he's keeping, I mean, I think in the last game, he kept Palomino out the squad uh, or sort of, sort of out the, um, sorry, out of the starting 11. Um and you know, I mean, they may they may have had injury issues in midfield, but the, the, with three central defenders, you know, obviously you put on the back three tacks that you know it's it's easier per se to play in a back three. But he's played on the right hand side. He's played as the central um, central defender in that back three. You know, Gasparini has not, you know, he's not had any qualms about about putting him in. Um, and in particular for the Primavera side over the past two seasons, he's been someone who has always been an absolute standout. Yeah, he's he's um the first time I really became aware of Scalvini was when I, I went over to Bergamo last month in March to go and see them in a in a a nil nil draw with Genoa and he was he started, it was his I think it might have been his first start of the season. But um like I say, he's eighteen but six foot four. He's six foot four, but he's only about hundred and sixty pounds, so he's very he's quite lithe, he's quite he's got some serious filling out to do. And in the first half of that match, he was up against Kelvin Yeboa, who's Antonio Yeboa's uh, nephew, I believe. An absolute menace of a centre-forward, powerful, 
you know, strong running in behind. And in the first half, he, he definitely targeted Scalvini because Scalvini is much taller, but just doesn't have the physique to kind of battle with a with a forward like that. And it looked like he was getting a bit overrun. But in the second half, he something switched in him and he just, he, he reminded me of a young Bastoni. Like he's he's got a range of passing. He, he charts incredibly well for ball carrying. He's very elegant on the ball. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he, he's he's got he's certainly got a future centre back. But I know a, a lot of Atalanta fans that I kind of you know chat to on Twitter, um, they see him as a as a midfield player in the future, and they prefer to see him there, um, which is interesting because he's not because he has that kind of elegance in how he you know how he carries the ball. He's not what you'd imagine a Gasparini centre midfielder to be. Um, but he came on for Pessina in the recent first leg of the Europa League quarterfinal against Leipzig, and. Uh, yeah, exuded a lot of calm, a lot of kind of timeless control of the ball. Um, he's just a very, very nice, elegant player, and um, I would not be surprised to see him getting called up for the for the Italy national team soon. Yeah, that would be a great sight, wouldn't it? To to see you know somebody of you know of that age being called up to the senior squad. Um, you know, typically over the past few years, I think off the top of my head, you know, you're looking at the likes of Sandro Tonali as someone who was of that of that similar age who's been who's been called up um it's mm. been again very similar to sort of the atalanta mold it's been you know more experienced players um in That's the nice. the uh, the in the azuri's sort of starting 11 and squads but um there's one more player in it's sort of in the first team setup um who uh, i've been i've been impressed by this season and it's away from atalanta and it's quite fitting that we've we've actually got one who is out on loan um who's doing well it's matteo lovato who is on loan at Cagliari. Um, not an academy product, it must be said, um, but he has been he's been loaned out and he's doing very well. Um, you know, another Italian under twenty one international, um, and yeah, I think it's again it's an indication that th- there can be there can be lots of different profiles and 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 plans and processes for these players um, without them all having to follow the same path in terms of you know Scalvini's coming into the team and he's doing very well. Um, you know, say for example, if Lovato was to come back as he's another central defender, um, if he was to come back and, and to rival him in there, um, you know, that's that's only gonna that's only gonna benefit both players. But I think Lovato's twenty two, so three or four years older than than Scalvini. But um, mm-hmm. you know, again, it, it shows that there's there's depth here, there's depth beyond sort of the the starting eleven. Yeah, absolutely. And and Lovato's um, Lovato's more in keeping with the the traditional. What 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 the kind of the traditional Atalanta centre back has been for for people for people who don't follow them, uh, you know, in in any degree of depth, particularly on the, you know if you see if you see Atalanta play on a on a Champions League night and they're on BT Sport and they you know uh, it will often be the centre backs who get absolutely blasted by pundit by English pundits for you know being what let their team down because they're seen as rash or they're seen as kind of reckless or that they're you know they they're they're not they're not they're not the kind of calm the calm types that say Scalvini or even Bastoni are um but really it's that it is that kind of wreck not reckless but that kind of aggressive blood pumping centre-back that makes the whole of the Atalanta team work it's that they they want to they want to condense the pitch as short as they can force a long ball from the opposition so that one of the centre backs can come out, head the ball, win it, and then set them on the on the you know on the counter attack or transition really quickly. Lovato is certainly in that kind of brand of centre back. You're looking at your Mattia Caldara's, Christian Romero's, um, Palomino's. He's that. I mean, at the moment in the 
in a poor Cagliari team as well, saying he's putting up nearly five tackles and interceptions a game, which for a centre-back is pretty wild and is very different to the kind of the Scalvini type centre-back who is kind of cultured and uh, kind of careful with the ball. He is a bit different to that. But um, yeah, again, it's just, it's like we've kind of said, like either Lovato will come back and he'll make a, you know, make an impact. I could very easily see if, if Mera Demoral doesn't, doesn't end up staying at Atalanta for very long, then Lovato could come in and fill his role. Or alternatively, Demaral stays and Lovato's the one that gets that gets sold for big money or loaned out again. It's a, it's just like a it's like a perfect kind of cycle of of keeping and selling or loaning, and it, it only benefits the team as a whole. You're looking ahead to the future, then I suppose, um, and sort of 2022. I mean, a fourth consecutive season in in the Champions League will seem quite unlikely given recent results and the fact that Atalanta have slipped to seventh in Serie A. Um, unless that is they win the Europa League, um, European football, I think it's fair to say, is still likely, but they might have to settle for the Europa League or the UEFA, uh, Euro, uh, the Europa Conference League group stage next year. Um, there are two players though that I'm quite curious about, um, sort of looking looking ahead, and they're attacking players, and we do love an attacking player on this podcast. Someone you can you can say you can hang your hat on and say you know he got X amount of goals last season, he's going to be a star this year. Um, Alassane Sidibe, who's 19, um, has got, I think, 11 goals. Or the last time I checked, he had 11 goals in Primavera this season. Um, two in the UEFA Youth League. Uh, another Ivorian, um, obviously following in the footsteps of Franck Kessier and, and Ahmad Diallo, um, made his, his senior debut off the bench in January for Atalanta. Um, and arguably more, even more amazing is, is Mustafa Sisse, who's 18, Guinean forward, only signed in February, for, specifically for the Primavera side. But came off the bench um, for the first team, scored on his debut versus Bologna at the end of March, um, and I remember seeing that and thinking that this is this is an incredible story. You know, somebody who has effectively been in Europe for all of you know a month um, is is having that impact already. Um, I think it was um, Felix Afini Jan, um, a similar story at Roma this year as well. But yeah. um, I think the whole reason that he was on the bench to begin with in that game against Bologna was because for the Primavera side, which is the under nineteen team. CC had scored three and three, um, so I think he'd definitely been um, identified as someone who might have already outgrown that level. Um, I mean, obviously, there's an incredibly small sample size to judge them from, Tom. But what is sort of the um, what's the hope for those two? I mean, I'll, I'll start with Sadibe first, just because I've I've kind of watched him for like a little bit longer, and mm. he's um, I, I would highly recommend anyone going and watching some clips of him because he is such a fun central midfielder he's, he's nominally a central midfielder but kind of like as we've kind of discussed like the the way that he so he's, a, he's a very he's kind of like a he will run past the run past the forward he'll take ridiculous shots from range he's got a, quite a peculiar eye for a, like a side foot volley he does it like over and over again he's got real panache and he's just a stylish midfielder which makes you immediately think well he won't be a midfielder for very long if Gasparini's there because he'll he'll probably try and turn him into like a like kind of inverted winger or attacking midfielder um but he's just got he's really stylish and yeah just a super super fun fun player to watch I'm not I was trying to think in the kind of preparation for this podcast of who he reminded me of and and honestly I, I can't really think of of anyone that leaps to mind he's just he's such a unique brand of central midfielder he kind of he, he's similar in his running to what brian cristante did at atalanta that kind of a lot of off the ball stuff but he's he offers a lot more on the ball than cristante did so yeah highly recommend people go and watch the and then 
as for Cisse, I mean, it's just a, it's just a remarkable story. Like to, to, like you say, as recently as February, only joined Atalanta, like only joining Atalanta in February. Like that is, it's just incredible to play three matches into the first team setup. Um, and I think now he's on either five and six in the Primavera, either five and six or six and five in the Primavera. And he just looks like a star. And um, I was speaking to to Ben, Ben Bocek, of course, has been a been a feature on this podcast about Cisse a few weeks ago. And he, he certainly, he, he said that there, there's a lot of Duvan Zapata about him. Like he's strong with his back to goal. He's got a really powerful shot. Um, yeah, and if, if Atalanta have someone to kind of come through and mirror what, Z- what Zapata has done, you know, if if he is to if the Colombian is to leave, which it seems to be rumored every every year, and the only thing that's stopping Zapata leaving really is his age. He's about thirty now, and the fact that he's quite injury prone. Um, but to have this this kid come through so so young is uh, is is a luxury to have, and and it just means that you know if if Atalanta don't manage to go out and get a a forward in the summer to kind of rival Muriel Zapata, then they have these. They have these kids waiting, waiting, chomping at the bit to go, and um, I thought it was quite fitting that it came against Bologna, as that's obviously where where Musa Barrow plays now. Another product who, of coming through, signed from signed from the Gambia about sixteen. No, he signed at eighteen, but had been scouted at fourteen, and um, the the Atalanta scouts thought he was the the, the reincarnation of Kakao when they saw him. Mm-hmm. He was a central midfielder at the time strong tall fast um they yeah they said he was he was the closest thing they've seen to Kaka and obviously he didn't you know he's a, he's a winger now very a very very good Serie A winger now but he didn't quite become the, the Kaka comparison didn't quite pan out but I thought that was quite fitting that it was against Musa Barra's Bologna that that Mustafa Cisse kind of made his breakthrough and they had quite a nice kind of cyclical cyclical nature to it that just about finishes things for this week's episode um, on Atalanta and their youth policy and and, and, the, and the various players that that have um, have caught the eye in uh, recent seasons as well as this year. Um, thank you very much to to Tom Underhill for for joining me on this. Tom of of first time finish and 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 of soon to be uh, literary fame um, with the the working hands of a goddess, um, which should be available very soon. Uh, Tom, do you want to give some more details on 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 that? Yeah, so it's uh it's due it's due for publishing in July. The specific specific date in July hasn't been announced yet. But if you can you follow my Twitter at Tom D underscore Underhill, then uh, I'll be releasing details about that soon. Uh, yeah, published by the great guys at Pitch Publishing. They've done some amazing work. So uh, yeah, big thank you to them for kind of taking taking me on. And uh, yeah, hopefully this podcast has whetted your appetite about the uh, the Gasparini Atalanta story. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has mine, and I can't recommend that enough. I mean, the, from the work that, that Tom's done with with the guys at First Time Finish, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to giving uh, to giving that book about Ladea a good old read um, in 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 the summer in the sun. Um, but yeah, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast uh, with me, Joe Donahue. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Take care, stay safe. Bye for now.